Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. Today is a special episode of Words on Film, and that it is a Oscar recap. What I mean by that is it is recapping the Oscars that occurred on Sunday, April 25th, 2021. It's kind of interesting this year's Oscars because they didn't take place in the Kodak Theater or Man's Chinese Theater or any kind of big um, ceremonial place as uh, most other Oscar telecasts have. It is uh, Hollywood's biggest night, but I think it was because it was so low-key and also because of the nominees this year that there was a huge drop in the Academy Awards ratings this year. And I guess that is to be expected because, honestly, this year was kind of bad for everyone. I I shouldn't say kind of bad. This year was bad for everyone for a variety of reasons. And I think that movies, even though we had access to them in ways other than movie theaters, especially um, streaming, I don't think that movies really united us this year. There was really no one film that brought us all together and one that everyone had seen. And the, the primary movie I'm thinking of, which brought, I think, a lot of people together was Titanic. Not just because it was the biggest... Uh, at the time, the highest grossing movie of all time. It was because everyone had seen that movie and whether they loved it or they hated it, everyone had an opinion about it and everyone was kind of in on it. But there wasn't a movie like that this year. There was a program this year that, at least for the first few weeks of the pandemic, uh, united us all, and that was... Tiger King and Tiger King isn't eligible for the Oscars because it is a documentary miniseries, not a documentary itself. But I think when we were all kind of shell shocked by the mandatory uh, social distancing we had to do, we all went to our TVs, we all went to our Netflix subscriptions, and Tiger King was the first thing we saw. And I think that united us in the sense that there were people out there who were more bonkers than the pandemic itself. More than in the White House at the time, that's to be debated. But I think for that that crazy time, we had a crazy documentary miniseries that all of us saw. All of us had our own opinions about the people in it. And all of us were kind of taken in by the story. But a lot of other media, and not just movies, but also some other uh, series that were brought to streaming, not only on Netflix, but on other streaming platforms like Hulu and Disney+, Plus, didn't quite unite us in that way. And I think that might have been a thing in the moment. But by no means is that a reflection on the Academy Awards this year. However... The Academy Awards, when it came to ratings, suffered greatly. 
at most, the Academy Awards this year earned 10.4 million viewers. And while that may seem like a lot, hell, I would kill to have 10.4 million listeners. Well, maybe not kill, but I would do a lot to get, uh, you know, even 1 million listeners or maybe even 10 listeners. That would be great. Because <laughs> I really have no idea how many people are listening to me, but I would like to think it's between 10 and 20. But to give you an idea of how little that number is for the Academy Awards, the lowest rated Oscar telecast since 1953, which was the first year that the Oscars were televised, the lowest um, Oscar telecast was 32 million viewers, which was 18.7, excuse me, 18.7% of American homes. And that was in 2008 when, amongst other films, No Country for Old Men was one of the nominees. And the people who were behind the Oscar telecast blamed the fact that there were no big movies that year. No Country for Old Men was the biggest. And that year, the most deserving for Best Picture. And I think that No Country for Old Men, very much like Fargo, started out with not a ton of people going to the movies to see it. It still was a hit. It made more money at the box office than it cost to make, and therefore it was a hit. But it wasn't a Titanic-sized hit, and it wasn't one for which many people were rooting necessarily. But that year there was also a, a writer's strike and other things. Um, extraneous variables that contributed to the poor viewer turnout in February of 2008. This year, you could say that the pandemic was the biggest thing to draw people away. And that's part of it, but it's not everything. I'm going to tell you what is everything very shortly. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. As I was saying before the break, this year's telecast of the Oscars was the lowest in broadcast history, even since the Oscars first debuted on TV in 1953, when a vast majority of people, let alone Americans, didn't own TVs. So why was that? Well, One of the reasons is the movies that are nominated themselves. And there is, there was actually a monologue that Bill Maher delivered on his show Real Time with Bill Maher, which is on HBO, which even though it's cherry picked and makes some ham fisted exaggerations, he does actually hit on some really good points. And I am so thankful, by the way, that I was able to get this. Um, manuscript for Bill Maher's um, diatribe from a website called scrapsfromtheloft.com. If it hadn't been for them, I would have had to transcribe this 
on YouTube myself, which isn't the worst thing in the world. But again, I am one of these people who I have transcribed video before. I've even gotten paid for it sometimes, but I have the benefit of pushing the pause button and rewinding. I can't do like a court stenographer does, which is type the words as he or she hears them. That takes a lot of attention, a lot of skill, which I don't have. Maybe at least not yet. So thank you, scrapsfromtheloft.com, for getting this uh, diatribe uh, transcribed for me so I don't have to do it. So on April 12th, Bill Maher hosted Real Time with Bill Maher, and he has a segment at the very end of his show, which is called New Rule. For the last four years, maybe even five years, the new rule was about largely the Trump administration. Well, Trump's not in power anymore and probably won't be again, if you can hear that. But this time he talked about the Oscars and he's speaking um, or I'm, I'm about to quote him verbatim. So Bill Maher said this about the Oscars and I quote. The Oscars need to be changed. Damn it. Let me try again. Bill Maher said this about the Oscars, and I quote, The Oscars need to change their name to the Debbies, as in Debbie Downer, which was Rachel Drash's character from Saturday Night Live, which she only played for a few sketches, but the name of her character has made its way into the public lexicon. Bill Maher goes on to say, quote, Because judging by this year's Best Picture nominees, you couldn't have a worse time at the movies if there was an active shooter in the theater. A new poll found that less than half of Americans now go to church. They don't have to. If they want to feel guilty, dirty, and bad, they can watch Nomadland. I'm going to end the quote here just to say that he goes on to basically talk about the eight best picture nominees and the sad things that are in them. And there are probably sad things in about all of them, but after he describes major events that happen in the movie, which I won't give away because words on film has a no spoiler policy. Bill Maher goes on to say this quote, the 2021 Oscars brought to you by razor blades, Kleenex and rope. Please welcome our host, the sad emoji. I don't have to leave the theater whistling, but would it kill you once in a while to make a movie that doesn't make me want to take a bath with the toaster? We all had a rough year. A little escapism would have been appreciated. But your list of movies is like the menu at some stupid trendy restaurant where all the choices are very impressive, but there's not one thing I actually want to eat. Where's the comfort food? What happened to the show business? Did they all decide to quit cocaine at the same time? Did they forget that Hollywood is still the number one place to go if you're an egomaniac looking to fill that hole from your childhood with applause? Or at least that's what my therapist says. I don't know. They forgot how to help people escape from their problems, and then they wonder why they're losing their audience in droves. Of course, you keep offering up. Uh, and he, he says something rather explicit here. I'm going to end quote there. And I, I guess he goes on to get into a little bit of how Hollywood is allegedly woke now. So he goes on to say, and I quote, Academy nominations used to say, look what great movies we make. Now they say, look what good people we are. It's not about entertainment, it's about suffering. Specifically, yours. It's not two hours to forget your troubles. It's traffic school at the Holocaust Museum. In 2021, if you're at the movies and wondering, 
which one is the bad guy, it's you. Because you have indoor plumbing and the nominees don't. Godzilla vs. Kong stomped the box office last weekend and finally got people back to theaters because it's Godzilla vs. Kong, not Godzilla vs. Kong and his crippling battle with depression. Not that I want to see Godzilla vs. Kong either. Jesus, Hollywood used to know how to make a movie that was about something, a movie for adults, that was also entertaining and not just depressing. There was already a category for that, Best Documentary. Important filmmaking about the conflict in Syria or the plight of hot dog stand owners. You know, the part of the Oscar show where you got up and went to the bathroom. But now that's the whole show. They don't even have a host anymore. The funniest part of the whole night is the In Memoriam segment. It's such an odd psychological quirk. I keep asking myself, why do so many liberals have this seeming desire to want to be sad? Could it be because being sad allows you to feel like you're doing something about a problem without actually having to do anything? Like the poor lady in Nomadland living in her van? There is a solution to homelessness, building affordable housing, possibly in your neighborhood. But do people, including liberals, vote for that? No, they fight it. But it does make them sad, without affecting home values. Virtue signaling has already ruined most of the internet, the publishing industry, the New York Times, and most of the colleges where football isn't a priority. Please at least leave us the movies. Because, in all honesty, I gotta ask, if your movie is so woke, how come I'm falling asleep? End quote. There are things in that monologue with which I agree, and there are some things which I don't. For example... I don't know exactly how well escapism works when you can't go to the movie theaters. When you go to the movie theaters, you're sitting in a comfy chair, the lights go down, your cell phone should be off, by the way, and if it isn't, turn it off, don't put it to, don't put it to vibrate, and you get lost in the movie on the big screen. And I think this year, because movie theaters were shut down, and for a very good reason, We didn't really have that benefit unless you had a big screen TV, but who wants to fork three to $4,000 on one of those TVs? There are some people who do, but there are many of us who can't afford to do that, myself included. So I do get what he's saying about these movies being a bit of downers, but not all of them were downers. And another thing was Bill Maher is not a film critic. I think it would have benefited his argument, even if he wasn't a film critic, to maybe suggest some movies that aren't downers. And truth be told, I can't think of a single movie that I saw last year that was an upper, if you want to call it that, a positive film that was good enough to be nominated for Best Picture this year. But at the same time, he does hit on something, which is... These movies, and maybe it's not politics getting into that, but these movies didn't exactly unite us. I do think that Nomadland was good for the movie that it was, and I do think, a little bit of a spoiler alert, it did deserve to win Best Picture and all the awards it ultimately did win. It is a great movie. It's a little draggy during some parts, but it's a movie that is... Very similar to John Steinbeck's books, particularly The Grapes of Wrath. In 
the Grapes of Wrath, that took place during the Great Depression when a lot of Americans were feeling lost. Now times are not nearly as bad as the Great Depression, and let's hope in my lifetime they don't become that bad. We are in a new 20s right now, but hopefully it doesn't end like the Roaring 20s did. But that's another story for another time. But Nomadland, I think when you get past all the sad parts, does speak to the resiliency of Americans or certain Americans. There aren't people who are putting a gun in their mouth when times get rough. There are people who adjust and also see the beauty of an America that you don't see on TV. So that's what I appreciated the most about Nomadland. And I said this a little bit in my review of it a few months ago. So I do think that when you get past the negative parts of these movies, you could see, A, some stories about hope in some of these movies, not all, but some, but also ones that really don't pull any punches when it tells you how unfair life can be. And there are some people who said that during the Great Depression, people could still go to the movies and watch Fred Astaire and Ginger Roger movies, and that's true. But first of all, going to the movies for us, actually having the lights dim and us having or should having our undivided attention on the big screen, that wasn't an option for us. And also, if all the movies that were nominated for Best Pictures were positive, I think Bill Maher and other people would talk about how movies just want to escape reality and not look at how messed up the world is. So I think it's a double-edged sword. It's one of those things where you can't really please everyone. And movies did not bring us together this year, but it was not entirely the fault of the movies that came out this year. And that's really all I have to say about that. back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. So I've talked a lot about the low ratings that this year's Oscar telecast had, and I talked about some of the reasons that could be behind those low ratings. But the question is, now that I've seen the Oscar telecast, what did I think of the show? And I'll do this very briefly before I get into my thoughts about the winners compared to the nominees and some of the people I thought maybe should have won. But how was the Oscar telecast itself? I thought given the times and also given the fact that we're still social distancing and our travel is limited and also people are social distancing like they should be, I might add, including in Hollywood, I thought it was pretty good. I do think that I think it's time to bring an Oscar host back to host the show. And there are people like Jimmy Fallon or Stephen Colbert or Conan O'Brien who have never hosted 
the Oscars before, and I think it's probably about time that one of them try to do it this year or next year or sometime in the future. I think Jimmy Fallon actually would be one of the perfect choices for uh, hosting the Oscars. Not because he's my favorite um, Oscar host, because he isn't. I mean, not that he's my favorite talk show host, because he isn't. I'm Stephen Colbert all the way. But he is a guy who exudes positivity. He, he certainly loves Hollywood and loves celebrity, sometimes to a fault. But I think he would jump at the chance of hosting the Oscars. And I think that he has a chance, very much like Johnny Carson, to host an Oscar telecast and maybe be one of the go-to people to host the Oscars, very similar to the way that Bob Hope and Johnny Carson were back in the day. But I did think the intimate setting was a good change. There were some very puzzling ways I thought that the Oscars were arranged this year. Um, and, And by arranged, I mean how the Oscars were delivered or they were um, put in order. Like one of the most puzzling choices that the Oscars made this year was not putting the best picture winner reveal last. In fact, when Rita Moreno came up to announce the best picture winner, I immediately thought, wait a second, there are still some awards that they haven't announced yet, right? Well, it turns out that that is actually the case because they hadn't announced the Best Actress or Best Actor winners, and they did that after Best Picture, and I'm wondering exactly why they did that. And chances are, considering how critically deriled that choice was, they're probably not going to do that again. And I could also mention um, the speech that was made by Best Supporting Actor winner Daniel Kaluuya, where he thanked his parents for having sex and creating his birth. I thought that was really awkward, but yeah, you can tell when you see Daniel Kaluuya's mother on the screen as Daniel Kaluuya is saying this, and she looks positively mortified that I was not the only one who thought this. But another thing that the Oscars could have done this year, and it was three hours, 15 minutes, so it was actually more concise than it was in previous years because one common complaint about the Oscar telecast is that it runs too long, usually over four hours. This time it was three hours, 15 minutes total. I hope they can make it that length in the future, but I would have liked to have seen some actual performances as opposed to just people coming up and reading the names of the winners. I didn't see the first hour of the Oscar telecast because I had something to do, but I didn't, I don't think that there were many of the best original song winners or nominees that announced or rather performed their song this year. And that's usually the highlight of some of the later shows, but I'll get to my grievance about the nominees for best original song a little later. But for now, I'm going to announce the nominees and the winners in each category.
Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. If I had two hours for the show, I would have no problem talking about nothing but the Oscars with no dead air in between here. Anyway, I'm going to get into the categories in the Oscars, their nominees and also the winners, and about what I think maybe should have won or if the winner of a certain category should have won, so on and so forth. So I'm going to start from the top with Best Picture. And usually, as I said uh, before the break, the Oscars end with Best Picture. They didn't this time, and I'm very curious as to why they did that. But this time, I will start with Best Picture. So the nominees for Best Picture are, in alphabetical order by uh, title name, The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Last week when I was hosting my show, I said that Nomadland will win, and in my opinion, Minari should win. Well, Nomadland, no surprise here, ended up taking the Best Picture Award. And honestly, even though I did think Minari was a better movie, kind of like last year where I thought 1917 was the best movie of the year, but the movie that won the Academy Award was Parasite, I didn't think it was a bad choice. And actually, I went to see Parasite. I loved it. It was an astonishingly original film. And it's a film that I think still resonates, at least with me, to this day. I don't. I can't speak for, I can never speak for anyone, but I can't speak for um, most people either. But I, I thought, I was not disappointed by the fact that 1917 didn't win Best Picture, even though, in my opinion, it was the best movie of 2019. But, man, I got to tell you, um, the movie Parasite was kind of prophetic for 2020, if you really think about it. And you probably have to see it in order to know what I'm talking about. But on to the next category. Best Actor in a Leading Role. The nominees are Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yoon for Minari. Now, this category made history this year for a number of reasons. Riz Ahmed, I believe, is the first actor of Pakistani descent to be nominated for Best Actor. I could be wrong about that, but I think he is. Stephen Yoon is definitely the first Asian-American, let alone the first Korean-American, to be nominated for this award. And Anthony Hopkins is actually the oldest person in Academy Award history to be nominated for Best Actor. He actually beat out Christopher Plummer, who won years ago for a movie called Beginners at the age of 82. This year, Anthony Hopkins was nominated at the age of 83 for The Father, and Anthony Hopkins is the winner in this category. A lot of people were rooting for Chadwick Boseman. I was one of them, but it amazed me how many people on the internet, on Twitter, were furious that Chadwick Boseman didn't win and that Anthony Hopkins did. Granted, I probably would have been with them if Gary Oldman had won for Mank. Not that Gary Oldman was bad in the movie Mank, but Mank was a movie that 
I thought lacked in a lot of areas. It wasn't the best movie that David Fincher directed. It's not the best movie in which Gary Oldman acted. It did receive several Academy Award uh, nominations. It won a couple for the science categories rather than the art categories. But Anthony Hopkins was great in The Father. And I think it's actually great that he is he is now the oldest person to ever win an Academy Award. I was rooting for Chadwick Boseman, but I think a lot of people who were rooting for Chadwick Boseman who were furious that he didn't win are probably ones who have not seen Anthony Hopkins in The Father. And you can see The Father on Amazon Prime or on YouTube, but you have to pay $20 to see the movie. And I don't think that's a lot that's money that a lot of people would willingly fork up. However, I do think that in a couple of months when The Father gets released on Netflix or is included in other streaming platforms without you having to pay extra money to see it, I think people will see the movie and I think people will appreciate Anthony Hopkins' role in it. With all due respect to Chadwick Boseman, I I am actually not dissatisfied with Anthony Hopkins winning this award. For Best Actress in a Leading Role, the nominees are Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andrew Day, The United States vs. Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand, Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. What's significant about the Best Actress category this year is that there are two black women who are nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role. And I don't believe that has happened since 1973. And that year was the year that Diana Ross and Cecily Tyson were nominated for Lady Sings the Blues and Sounder, respectively. Coincidentally enough, Diana Ross in Lady Sings the Blues portrays Billie Holiday just like Andra Day did in The United States versus Billie Holiday. And even though I thought Andra Day did a better job portraying Billie Holiday than Diana Ross did in Lady Sings the Blues, and that is a very tough act to follow, and even though I thought Viola Davis probably was the best actress of the year, the award went to Frances McDormand, and again, like Anthony Hopkins, I wasn't disappointed. But unlike Anthony Hopkins, Frances McDormand's win did not get a lot of online backlash. And that really says something about Frances McDormand and her appeal. Her, um, maybe not universal appeal, but what's interesting is that Frances McDormand is now the winner of three Academy Awards. Unlike Meryl Streep, who also has three Academy Awards, All three of Frances McDormand's Academy Awards are for Best Actress in a Leading Role. Meryl Streep has two Best Actresses, uh, excuse me, two awards for Best Actress in a Leading Role for Sophie's Choice and the movie about Margaret Thatcher. I forgot the name of it temporarily. And one for Best Supporting Actress for Kramer vs. Kramer, which if you're talking about a downer movie, yeah, that's one right there. But that's another story. But Frances McDormand is now tied with Meryl Streep, Jack Nicholson, and one other actor, uh, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis, for living actors 
with the most Academy Awards. The the three actors, four actors there are tied for three, but they have not yet beaten Catherine Hepburn, who has four Academy Awards, all of them for Best Actress in a Leading Role. And Catherine Hepburn is going to be a hard one to beat. But again, congratulations to Frances McDormand. Even though I thought Viola Davis had the best performance of the year, that is just my opinion, but I am still happy for Frances McDormand because as far as actress goes, she is one of the real deals. So the next uh, category in this list I'm looking at is best original song, not best supporting act. I'll, I'll get to those in just a minute. But I have an issue with best original song, and I'll tell you what it is very shortly. Back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. On to the Academy Award nominations for Best Original Song. The nominees are Fight For You from the movie Judas and the Black Messiah, music by Her and Dernst Emil II, lyrics by Her and Tiara Thomas, Hear My Voice from The Trial of the Chicago 7, music by Daniel Pemberton, Lyric by Daniel Pemberton and Celeste Waite. Husevek from Eurovision Song Contest. Music and lyric by Savan Kotecha, Fat Max Gesus, and Richard Gorenson. Those are very Icelandic names right there. IOC, also known as Scene, from the movie The Life Ahead. Music by Diane Warren, and even though the lyrics are in Italian, the lyrics are by Diane Warren and Laura Pausini. And finally, Speak Now from the movie One Night in Miami, music and lyric by Leslie Odom Jr. and Sam Ashworth. The winner in this category was Her with the song Fight For You. And nothing against this song, but I've seen Judas and the Black Messiah I don't remember the song. And of course, we live in an age where we can go to YouTube or to Pandora and listen to the song instantly. That's not the problem I have. And I I definitely don't have a problem with her because I think her is an amazing singer. It's amazing how she was born in the early 90s, and yet she has the kind of soul you hear in... R&B music from the 70s. I, I really like her. I think she is the real thing. My issue with the best original song is that maybe it's the issue of the movies or maybe it's the issue of the Academy Awards themselves and how they vote on this category. But with the exception of the song Husevek from European, excuse me, Eurovision Song Contest, I don't know any of these other songs. Granted, I have not seen One Night in Miami, so I can't speak for that movie. But the other three films, Judas and the Black Messiah, The Trial of the Chicago 7, and The Life Ahead, I believe these songs were played during the end credits. And when songs are played during the end credits, they don't really incorporate themselves 
into a film the same way that I know Husevek was incorporated into the, the movie Eurovision Song Contest. That song was the basis of the movie, and that's a really good thing. Another thing, though, is that let me read to you the list of songs that were nominated for Best Original Song in 1985. The songs were, and I'll go, um, well, I'll read them in random order because I don't have the time to put them in alphabetical order. The nominees were the um, I Just Called to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder from the movie The, Wo- the Woman in Red. Against All Odds, Take a Look at Me Now by Phil Collins from the movie Against All Odds. Footloose, uh, excuse me, Let's Hear It for the Boys from the movie Footloose, written by Tom Snow and Dean Pitchford. Footloose, also from the movie Footloose. Music by Kenny Loggins, uh, Dean Pitchfork on lyrics. Dean Pitchford on lyrics, excuse me. And finally, Ghostbusters from the movie Ghostbusters. Music and lyrics by Ray Parker Jr. The winner in this in this year was I Just Called to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder. But what do that song and the other four songs I just read off have in common? They were all hits. Just about everyone, except maybe Generation Z, knows those songs now. And if they don't know all of the songs, they know at least two of them. The, the song Ghostbusters is iconic. You play that at a dance or at a wedding, people will get up and dance to it. And they know a lot of the lyrics. Footloose is the same kind of deal. You might not have seen the movie Footloose, but you definitely know the song. So I do feel like the nominees for Best Original Song, while they might be great songs, it just kind of puzzles me that no one really knows them. A month from now, if you play the song by somebody on the street, chances are they're not going to know this song. Except maybe Husevic. But the point is that I think maybe it's a disconnect between the music and the movie industry, and maybe that can't be corrected overnight. But it really kind of bothers me that the lists of songs for best original songs are overall very forgettable. And of course, you have songs like Fight for You and Hear My Voice, which are from politically charged movies, and they are politically charged themselves, and they make a good statement. But at the end of the day, nobody really remembers these songs. So I feel like they're nominated and maybe even win for their lyrical content, but not their place in the movie itself. And again, maybe that's speaking to a whole other issue here. But moving on to Best Original Score. The nominees for Best Original Score are... The Five Bloods, Terrence Blanchard, Mank, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, Minari, Emil Mosseri, News of the World, James Newton Howard, and Soul, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Batiste. The winner in this category deservedly was Soul, but I find it very ironic that not one movie that was nominated for Best Original Score was also nominated for... Uh, Best Original Song. And I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but you could have chosen a a song from Soul of the many songs and put that in the Best Original Song category. So there is something backwards with that category in particular. Best Original Song and Best Original Score. 
There's some kind of disconnect going on there, and it's creating songs that don't really resonate with the public as much. And there are various reasons I just said as to why that is. But moving on, let's go into best uh, film editing. The nominees are The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. My guess for best film editing was The Father, because when you watch that movie, and hopefully you will when it becomes more affordable than 20 bucks you have to cough up to watch it on pay-per-view or on any other platform, I was rooting for The Father to win because I liked how the movie had you in the mind of Anthony Hopkins as opposed to uh, from the perspective of somebody who's caring for him. You can definitely feel his confusion and his frustration during his early stages of dementia. I thought that was edited really well. The winner, however, was Sound of Metal, and the editor of that film was Mikael E.G. Nielsen. But Sound of Metal was also very well edited, not just in terms of its editing and film, but also its sound editing. I thought it was very clever, and it does actually get a lot of credit for its um, sound effects, and I will get into that in a moment. But first, let me get into Best Actress in a Supporting Role. The nominees are Maria Bakalova for Borat's Subsequent Movie Film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Yu Young Yoon for Minari. The winner of this category is Yu Young Yoon for Minari, and because she won this award, she is the very first Korean actress to win an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Not only that, but she also won the Screen Actors Guild Award and the British... Academy Film Award, not to mention she was the first Korean actress to be nominated for a Critics' Choice Movie Award. And I think that this win was absolutely deserving because Yoo Young Yoon was great in Minari. Again, I think Minari was the best picture of last year from what I've seen. But, you know, I... I think that if anyone who could have pulled off an upset, it probably would have been Olivia Coleman and the father and maybe Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. But Hillbilly Elegy got so much critical backlash, with Glenn Close probably being the exception to that rule. In other words, I thought she was the best thing about Hillbilly Elegy. I didn't think Hillbilly Elegy was a monumentally disappointing movie, but it did fall short of greatness. But Glenn Close was great in it. But Yu Young Yoon was the quintessential winner in this category, and she definitely deserved to uh, win that night. So now on to best. Let me see if I can find best supporting actor because I don't think I've came, I've come across that yet. And this here it is. Yeah, the the website I'm looking at has them all in various uh, various random order. But anyway, the nominees for Best Actor in a Supporting Role are Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, 
Paul Rossi for Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. I can't speak for Leslie Odom Jr. because I have not yet seen One Night in Miami, but I will review that movie eventually, and I will let you know what I think on a future show. I just don't know what show exactly yet. But the winner in this category is Daniel Kaluuya, and based on the other fantastic performances I saw this year, Daniel Kaluuya was certainly the best. I think the one thing working against Lakeith Stanfield in this category was that Lakeith Stanfield, in my view, not just in my opinion, but in my view, was not a supporting actor in Judas and the Black Messiah. He was the lead actor and should have been nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role, or at least considered for Best Actor in a Leading Role. But Daniel Kaluuya did have... The standout performance, again, I wish he had chosen his words a bit more carefully when he was giving his acceptance speech, but when you see the speech he gives to his fellow Black Panthers in Judas and the Black Messiah, it's full of fire, vigor, chutzpah, and even though I don't agree with it on a political standpoint, Daniel Kaluuya sold the hell out of his role in Judas and the Black Messiah, and for that reason, I think that he deserved the Best Supporting Actor uh, win, uh, win amongst the other four actors. But again, it was very good competition. So on to Best Director. The nominees are Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round, David Finch for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. I haven't seen another round, so I can't make a judgment about that film. But one thing I can tell you is that I was rooting for Chloe Zhao to win for Nomadland. I kind of figured she would, given that she won the Golden Globe for Best Director. And I believe this is the only year that two women have been nominated in this category. And Chloe Zhao made history winning for Nomadland. She is the second woman ever to win Best Director, and she is the first woman of color to win this award. She's not the first person of color to win the award, because last year, Bong Joon-ho won for Best Director, and he was the first Korean to win that award. So Chloe Zhao not, not only deserved to win, because to put it in the history books, but Nomadland was an excellent movie. I would not have guessed that that was directed by someone who was foreign, but somebody who's foreign can have a unique perspective on American life once you put a proverbial camera in their hands. And I think that Nomadland is certainly no exception to that rule. So I'm very happy for Chloe Zhao. She won another Academy Award for Best Picture because she co-produced Nomadland and Very good for her. She deserved it. And again, it's very subjective. I can't exactly tell you why some of these other uh, directors shouldn't have won. I do think that David Fincher probably shouldn't have been nominated in this category because Mank was not one of his best pictures. Again, it was a good picture, but not a great one. So we'll just leave it at that. So on to probably the least surprising win of the night, in my opinion, Best Animated Feature Film. The nominees are Onward, 
Over the Moon, A Shaun the Sheep Movie, Farmageddon, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. Of these five nominees, the only one I haven't seen is Wolfwalkers. The reason for that is because it is exclusively on Apple TV+, and I don't have Apple TV+. Could I get it? Maybe, but I'm already subscribed to Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Paramount+, HBO Max, and Amazon Prime. So that's six uh, streaming platforms, which contain... In a virtually infinite number of movies and TV shows that if I dedicated myself to watching each and every one, I would have no life. You would not be able to get me out from in front of the TV set. No surprise here. Soul was the winner for best animated feature film. And I do actually think that if Soul had been nominated for best picture, the critique about Bill Maher saying that the Oscars should be known as the Debbies where I read you that whole transcript, he might've eased back on that a little bit. But then again, you have the lead character in soul who falls into a pothole and dies. And this isn't a spoiler. This happens near the beginning of the film. So maybe that could be extrapolated as egregious circumstances as well. But what's great about soul is that very similar to inside out. It, de- it has a depiction of a, some very, complex philosophical theories that it gives to you with a side of honey. And I do think that's, that's one of the winning things about soul, not to mention the fantastic music. And of course, John Baptiste, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross deserve to win that award for best original score. I am kind of surprised what Trent Reznor could have contributed to that, um, score though, because Trent Reznor is definitely a musical genius up there with Prince, but I wouldn't have taken him for a jazz guy, especially considering that when I grew up listening to Trent Reznor's music, that was the music my parents did not want me to listen to. And if you don't believe me, check out the YouTube video for Closer. That music video, which is brilliantly directed by Mark Romanek, is something out of uh, nightmares. (laughs) Both the uncensored censored version and the censored version that they had to air on MTV uh, late at night. It's, oh man, it is very unsettling. So if you were to have told me back when I was in junior high and high school that Trent Reznor would A, go on to win an Academy Award, B, go on to win two Academy Awards, and C, one of those Academy Awards was for a Disney film, I would have thought you were crazy. But... I guess we live in crazy times, but not because of the Oscar winners or <laughs> the nominees. Just it, it's it's amazing how much stuff happens that people say you can't make this stuff up. You can make anything up, but the question is whether or not readers or viewers will believe you. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.